everyone, and welcome to Only in San Jose, a podcast about demystifying and democratizing the process of civic participation only in San Jose. My name is Alina Yin, and I will be your host. Hello, everyone, and welcome. So in this episode, we're discussing Recommendation 5. However, I can't promise that it'll stay number five when council talks about it. I think they're maybe getting switched around. But this is going to be a conversation about ranked choice voting. And in this episode, I have uh, a guest, Jake Tonkel. And um, this recommendation is going to be discussed also on April 11th by city council, 1.30 p.m. Not sure what time exactly this discussion will start depending on how long the other um, beginning topics take but if you want to tune in um, there are links in the show notes so you can put that in your calendar don't miss out but it will be recorded so you can view later and council will have another study session on april 29th and from there on we'll we'll have a better understanding of what is going to be on the the november 8th ballot so without further ado okay So before we get started on ranked choice voting, Jake, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, Who is Jake Tonkel? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Jake, who is Jake Tonkel? An existential question sometimes. (laughs) We like to go um, deep, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Existential times, why not? (laughs) Exactly. Um, I'm a, a biomedical engineer. I work in Campbell and live in San Jose. I grew up in the Santa Cruz Mountains. So I've been in Silicon Valley in the San Jose area for most of my life. Aside from leaving for college, I spent a couple of years uh, in Morocco with the Peace Corps. And even though kind of my work and my interests in in mechanical things, so to speak, um, didn't really bring me into the political arena. I have been pretty involved in environmental justice work, uh, particularly divestment and public banking for a number of years. Um, The anti-war movement for another number of years through the San Jose Peace and Justice Center. And in those spheres, people talk about um, how our elections work and how you get candidates that might support some of those agendas, um, which I consider to be you know, in the best interest of everyday you know, working class people uh, within San Jose, within California, or, or within the United States. Um, and like I said, through that process, got introduced to ranked choice voting, where when I started to pay attention to how we were picking who was on the ballot in November, started noticing that the options that we had were very limited. And that changes up and down the ballot, where for the president, there may be five or six names listed, but only two of them are considered viable. And that mm-hmm. if you vote for any other candidate, um, that that vote is generally considered a waste. Um, mm-hmm. And when we look at the United States, uh, even you know our local communities and and how 
Um, they continue to kind of separate from each other into, you know, along party politics or uh, along, you know, line A or line B. We don't really get the information we need as community members or elected officials or neighbors in order to really reflect a diversity of choices and a diversity of opinions. Um, and that's something I think ranked choice voting can help us with. Okay. Um, that sounds very interesting. So for those of us listening, not familiar with ranked choice voting, how, how does it work and how would you describe it? So ranked choice voting is pretty simple in my opinion. You have a list of candidates, um, one through however many want to qualify, and you would sit down and you would rank them from your favorite to your least favorite, where, and you can do it all kinds of ways, either give five stars to the one you like the most and one star to the one you like the least, or you rank them one, two, three, four, five. So it's a process that many of us have been using to go through school, uh, through a kindergarten, up through college. Um, it's how surveys generally work in the corporate world, where you rank on a scale one to 10, how much you prefer, you know, this policy or the thing that they did there or their customer service. Um, and my favorite way to attribute it uh, is kind of like deciding in a very mathematical way where you should go to dinner with your friends. Mm -hmm. um, the simplistic part is I like Thai food first and burgers second. And my third option is gonna be chicken sandwiches. And my fourth is going to be um, banh mi, right? <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty simple process. Everybody kind of has their favorites and things they mm -hmm. like. Um, yeah, banh mi would be number one for me. <laughs> fair enough, but that's why that's why we have ranked choice voting. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to dinner with a group of ten people and everybody votes uh, in our current fashion, where you just get one vote for one item, you might get three votes for banh mi and one vote for a chicken sandwich and five votes for um well that doesn't help my argument very much <laughs> three three votes for um a burger and one vote for ice cream only and the people that didn't vote for the two top winners whether it was mm -hmm. banh mi or burgers um their vote didn't count they mm -hmm. don't get to tell you well okay now that we've decided um that it's burgers, I'm going to go in that direction. Um, and so we have that in our current system where we have what's called a top two primary. Everybody votes in June. And when I say everybody, there's a caveat that I will get to about that later on. But people vote in June and then the top two options are moved on to your November election. And of those choices, you get to pick, you know, A or B. Um, with ranked choice voting, you only have one election, but you rank all your choices. And if your top choice doesn't win, or if your top choice comes in last, 
then your second place vote gets applied. And so in this case, if we had the person that was interested in a chicken sandwich and the person that was interested in ice cream only, and um, I'm totally blanking on what my third option that wasn't burgers or banh mi was, uh, Thai food, I think I said. Yeah, if your Thai, your, your Thai, your chicken sandwich, and your ice cream all said, hey, well, my second choice you know, is Thai food, then you'd actually have three for Thai food, three for burgers mm -hmm. and three for banh mi. And that's more reflective of the group as a whole rather mm -hmm. than saying, okay, well, these other three options are gone. And yeah. it gets harder to visualize with more voters, but easier from a, um, an aggregate understanding where you may have a candidate that starts out with the third number of first place votes, mm -hmm. but they're the most well-liked overall. Mm -hmm. um, and they could end up being the winner in a ranked choice voting system where that quote-unquote perhaps compromise candidate or the candidate that had the most positive um, overall perception among the community uh, would lose in a top two primary system like we have now. And you would get perhaps your most, your strongest liked from their bases, but uh, perhaps a candidate that has a, a very high disapproval. Yeah. So generally what we have right now is considered plurality voting where mm -hmm. the top vote getter wins. And in a, you know, our current presidential elections, we see that all the time where our president doesn't win with a majority of the vote. They don't have over 50%. They generally have 48, 47, 46% of the vote. Um, and so it leaves, you know, the opportunity where there's voices out there that don't think this person is the right choice for us. Um, and that can happen a lot. We've got, you know, if you want to check out kind of more data on how this ends up working, you can go to fairvote.org. They've got a lot of great represent or a lot of great data links to studies that people have done. Um, but oftentimes you'll get people that win elections with as low as 25% of the vote because there were lots of candidates on the ballot and the top vote getter got 25, second place got 23, third place got 22, uh, fifth place got seven. Um, and so you don't end up actually having somebody with majority of support in order to represent that community. Um, it happens even in San Jose, you know, if we take, for example, the District 7 primary from 2018, it was uh, almost 12,000 voters and the top two and seven candidates, um, the top two candidates got 30 and 28% of the vote, respectively. 
it was only about three and a half thousand, three thousand votes each. Well, third and fourth and fifth place, they all got over a thousand votes. They got, you know, 10 percent. Um, and yet when it comes to then the general election, there are only two options. Um, and that becomes a major challenge when we look at the difference between a voter turnout in a primary and a general election. So as I mentioned, you know, this District 7 race in the city of San Jose in 2018, uh, almost 12,000 people voted and the top two vote getters moved on to November. But in that November election, 21,000 people voted. And so you have 9,000 people that didn't get to look at any of the other candidates. They just got to look at the candidates that came out with 30 and 28% of the vote, which for a small district like that, you know, is only a thousand or so different than the third and fourth place people. Um, And so you're not giving options to a huge, you know, 30% of the community, um, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that we have other systems like great choice voting that could implement the same type of election structure, but all in one election when you have higher voter turnout. Um, On average, in the city of San Jose, the difference between a primary and a general election can be between 30 and 90%. Um, That means you get almost double the number of people in some instances that vote in the general election for our mayoral races, which are a big deal in the city of San Jose, the difference between the June election and the general election is almost 50%. So one you know, third of the city is not does not have their voice heard by using a primary system in that race. Okay. Wow, that's very complex. But at the same time, um, it does paint a picture of how maybe this process might increase um, representation of voices. Definitely. Yeah. And I I mean, there's lots of data out there as well Mm -hmm. to show who votes in primary versus general elections. General elections tend to be more representative of the community as a whole. When you take into things like race or gender, Mm -hmm. whereas primary elections, they are in general, and even, you know, for the city of San Jose, which is very diverse, still a majority of wealthy and white voters. Um, and that might distort the top two outcomes that then get presented to the community as a whole. Um, hmm, okay. And so, and I also kind of like the idea, um, you know, when you kind of go back to the analogy of like different types of sandwiches and, and foods is you get to have um, a thought and a voice on each option if you wanted to. And so in, you know, in this democratic process, you get to have a voice in each of these candidates. um, Whereas you were saying before, before that, you only you only have one kind of one vote, one chance. And um, this really can... um, help people kind of engage with democracy on a more intimate level, would you say? Yeah. I mean, in, in my perspective, it ranked choice voting is a simpler process. 
Mm-hmm. If you, you know, are working in politics or you're around people that that pay attention, they're fairly civically engaged. One of the main questions that they're going to ask is, is this candidate viable? Mm-hmm. And what that means is, do they do enough other people like them in order for me to not waste my vote? Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily care if the candidate themselves, you know, should or should not be elected. They're, they make that decision on each candidate. Your top choice candidate is the candidate that you might identify with the best, that you think has the best credentials. Um, and you can still then vote who you think is a moderate, well-liked candidate with lots of quote-unquote viability. You can put Mm -hmm. them second or third and still be influential in in deciding what the outcome of the race is. And um, you also, in terms of viability, it's it's whether or not, I guess, they are liked, but also how much money they raise too, correct? Yeah, viability in in politics and in local politics sways all the time. It's how much money you raise. It's Mm -hmm. what endorsements do you have. It's all these complex and very subjective things. You can run a great race with half as much money as your opponent, but you're less viable for an intangible reason. Um, And so all of these complicated factors that go into deciding who you're going to vote for kind of melt away when you just get to say, what policy do I like the best and which person do I think will be the best to represent me? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Um, So what other places have you, um, do they have a ranked choice voting and what has the data shown from that? Yeah. So closest um, places to us that use ranked choice voting, I think both San Francisco and city of Oakland um, use ranked choice voting. So it's not unheard of in our own backyard Uh, across the United States. It's like a little over 9 million voters vote in using ranked choice voting already. Um, That's a lot. It's a lot. You know, what are we, 330 million across the state? It's definitely not everybody, Mm -hmm. but it's enough for us to start to understand how this system works and and some of the positives and perhaps some negatives for people that come out of making this switch. Yeah. Um, In general, a couple of things that are considered positives uh, ranked choice voting, even if you use it in the same election. I know I was talking about the difference between a primary election voter turnout and a general election voter turnout. But if in the same election, there have been a couple of studies that have shown you increased voter participation just because you're using ranked choice voting. Uh, people might find it easier. They might find that they have more options and therefore they're like more likely to vote than mm-hmm. if they have only two options that perhaps they don't care to differentiate between. And that will often just leave it up to the rest of the voters to decide. Um, one of the other positives is that you have, 
there are some studies that have shown that more women and people of color can end up being elected uh, simply because they don't have to be as viable. Oftentimes it's harder for those uh, potential electeds to raise money, to gather endorsements. Um, but when those things don't factor into someone's decision to vote, then you're more likely to do better without those historical structural benefits that traditionally go to, you know, white male candidates. Mm -hmm. Okay. And also, I guess, you know, you're, you're more encouraged to vote by your values. Yeah, I think satisfaction with ranked choice voting is, has been shown to be pretty high. I think New York city transferred over to ranked choice voting in 2020 and I think it was 58. I don't have it in front of me, but I think about 58% of people said they liked using it mm-hmm. and 70 plus percent said that they would be, they would use it again, um, that it was easy to use. And so you, you do end up in a space where people are excited about having all their options. They feel more empowered that their voice is being heard no matter kind of which way they vote. Um, And I think that generally leads to positive um, perception about the voting process. Okay. Um, So what are the potential, you know, fiscal impacts of of this measure or of moving to the system? So the big kind of question mark fiscal impact is voter education. Um, You can spend lots of money on voter education regardless. I mean, people still make mistakes in a top two primary. Um, There are different aspects of their ballot where they are allowed to vote for two or three different candidates, not in a ranked system, but just because three people might get elected to the same board of representation. And so you'll often see all kinds of issues with undervoting, with people that don't fill out the ballot correctly, that don't sign their name in the right spot. Um, and so we have a long way to go in the United States and in this, you know, Santa Clara County to make sure that we eliminate those issues and count every person's vote the way it should be counted. Um, and I know the Registrar of Voters does a great job here in Santa Clara County. They'll do significant outreach. If they think a a signature was just slightly off, they'll call the voter and give them the opportunity to come down and verify their vote, that sort of thing. Um, But telling people that we're going to a ranked choice voting system is going to cost money. Um, Mm -hmm. It's hard to, like I said, put a number on it because we're still telling people that we switched to a hundred percent vote by mail ballots mm-hmm. back in uh, 2020 as well. So yeah. when you're sending a flyer to someone's home that says, Hey, your ballots coming in the mail this year, don't forget it. It doesn't cost you much more to take a third of that page or half of that page and say, you're also going to be voting by rank choice. Here's what it is. Um, the, the benefits kind of from the structural side, or that we do save an election. Elections are not free. Um, And in the city of San Jose in particular, we pay the registrar of voters, which is, you know, operated by Santa Clara County. Um, 
for the elections that we do help. Um, and on average for a single district, so you're voting for San Jose City Council, um, District 7, you pay for all the districts. I'm just using District 7 as a continual example here. You pay 34 <laughs> cents per per voter um, mm -hmm. for that election. So in District 7 in 2018, there was 38,600 people registered to vote. So it cost us $13,000 to mail them all. For District 9, it was $17,000. They have a bit higher voter registration. So you're looking at, you know, twenty dollars to $30,000, you know, as a whole um, to run these November elections. And it's not super simple, and I apologize. It's kind of a, a complex way to say it. But you will hold all your elections, but you only hold them once. And it, in a top two primary system, if you which is what we have now, if you only have two candidates running in the primary, you do not have a general election. And so it's not 100% mm -hmm. that you're going to have a second election that you have to pay for. Mm -hmm. um, but there are some caveats to this as well, where the city of San Jose runs ballot measures in the primary and in the general. Uh, and some of that is strategic. A side note, if they think the ballot measure will pass in a primary where there's you know wealthier and wider voters and less voter outreach because there are less people that will vote. Um, they may mm -hmm. purposefully put stuff on the ballot when there's less people out um, to say yes or no on it. And so mm -hmm. in the primary, if we're looking at not being able to do a, a ballot measure, perhaps because there's no election, uh, you'd save, you know, another, I think the measure B for the city of San Jose was $659,000. Um, so it, the money's messy at the end of the day, $100,000, $10,000, $20,000 for the city of San Jose to, uh, run elections, I don't think is the end of the world, but it does mean that we can take that money that we do save on ranked choice voting and put it towards educating voters and, and, and registering new voters that we didn't have before. Okay. That's really cool. Um, and I feel like, you know, fiscally, that's one of the other main concerns that people think about when they're voting for new systems and new ways of doing things is how much it costs. And so it's um, good to know that. And also the voter education, not that it's one time, it shouldn't be one time, but I imagine that that will get simpler over time when when people get used to it. So it's not like a, a static number forever. Um, exactly. And there are, you know, fortunately at Santa Clara County for us, they already mm -hmm. have election software that allows them to do ranked voting. And I think it's up to like 12 candidates or something like that, uh, which is many more than we traditionally have. Um, in other jurisdictions, it may cost them 
a significant amount more simply because they might have to update their voter count system. Um, but fortunately for us, people, some people thought ahead and that's already been bought and paid for. Okay, cool. Um, and this, so this ballot measure, if approved by council, um, which is going to happen sometime, well, I think they're going to discuss it in, in, on April 11th. And um, I don't know if it is unclear if it goes back to council for a formal vote in a city council meeting, if they're going to decide on, I believe it's a Monday, that first one. Um, and then if it's approved by council, it will go on the ballot in November or in June? November, probably, right? I think November is more likely. Uh, the last yeah. day to put something on the June ballot, I think, is like the next day, April 12th or something. Um, yeah. So that would be kind of last minute. And in the world of actually getting things done, telling city staff last minute with like two weeks before they have to get the actual language to the registrar of voters, who's going to print it in the ballot booklet. Um, you don't necessarily want to rush those things. So I think it's, it's probably likely that we'll see it placed on the November um, election. Okay. Um, yeah. And so what have you heard? And I'll read this one kind of like headline in terms of people or, or groups um, that oppose ranked choice voting. And um, yeah, there, I guess there's a bill to ban ranked choice voting in California um, authored by Assemblymember Patrick O'Donnell from Long Beach and said in a statement that ranked choice voting allows an election to be gamed. And so what would your um, response or how would you uh, um, address that? I think it's a, an interesting way for Assemblymember O'Donnell to phrase this. Um, our election systems are already very challenging things to navigate for voters, for candidates. Um, uh, my assumption is that he means that when two candidates work together and say, hey, you know, I share very similar values with candidate B, you should rank me number one and candidate B number two. Mm -hmm. um, he might consider that to be gaming. When in reality, what it is, it's like constituencies working together to make sure their voices are the most effective that they can be. And that happens now all the time anyway. We have, you know, plenty of other issues. You know, we could get into money and politics in general, mm -hmm. but you can have half a million dollars spent to tell voters that this candidate is not viable and you shouldn't vote for them, um, even if they are. Mm -hmm. And so we've got huge issues with our election systems being very complicated and misleading. Um, I don't think having one candidate say, you know what, if I wasn't in this race, you should vote for, you know, candidate B uh, because we're similar enough. Um, that happens now. When I ran for city council, people would open the door and ask, you know, Jake, I'm deciding between you and candidate B 
Um, and candidate C, you, you know, what's your opinion of the other two candidates in your race? And I would say, hey, I align more with candidate B than candidate C. Here are these reasons. Um, because I know that's effective information for them to use in order to be effect, you know, be impactful with their vote um, to make the right decision. And so I don't think you would call it gaming by any any sense of the imagination, to be honest. And, you know, I apologize to Assemblymember O'Donnell, but I, I do think that, that it's a bit ridiculous. <laughs> um. Yeah, because I guess, well, at the end of the day, it's, for example, in, in San Jose, all the people running, they're all San Jose residents. So, like, you know, they're all neighbors. And um, instead of focusing on why you're so much better than the other candidate and, you know, because we, we can see and we have seen many, like, very toxic, polarizing campaign mailers that um, encourage um, unkind words and, and things like that to between candidates. And it doesn't have to be that way. And I see this maybe as an opportunity to, like you were saying earlier, to, to actually talk about the policies and to talk about um, what you plan to do and more of the how you're going to do things and why, you know, you're going to do it that way. And building camaraderie is I would see something that we'd also want to see more of because it shows their diplomacy and, you know, how they would use their, um, you know, diplomacy in a city council body where there's, you know, 10 other people in the room. And so, um, you know, that collaboration, it is interesting that he chose those words because in another, um, when you shift that, it's also kind of collaboration. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, you're also trying to do that as a community, right? You want to collaborate on who is going to best represent everyone that your neighbors with. And some people may choose that to be, you know, the person that's just going to ignore all the voices that don't agree with them because they got elected by a certain subgroup of people. And I think that's certainly one way to do it, but a way that leads to dissatisfied voters, to loss of people that think voting is even important. We certainly see that trend um, continuing in our city and across the country. Um, you want to have people that can get along and can say, hey, like this, these are the people that I can work with. If you like them, then uh, you know, I clearly understand at least what you're going through. I may deal with it a little bit differently, but I recognize that that's a, a someone who has quality representation in our district. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, I think, I think we covered everything. Um, where, where can people learn more? I think one of the best websites to learn more is fairvote.org. Um, it gets fairly technical, but they also have some great videos that explain how ranked choice voting works and what its benefits are. Um, they're more than welcome to reach out to myself as well. Um, we have the 
better election San Jose team that's trying to work on ranked choice voting in the city of San Jose and actually in the county of Santa Clara as well. Eventually, um, we've had some positive steps at the county, um, and they can reach out to Better Election San Jose on Facebook, Better Election San Jose. Um, and if people want to email me questions, I'm more than happy to answer. Um, best email to reach me is Jacob R. Tonkel at hotmail.com. Hotmail. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I think, yeah, I think that's everything. Um, and thank you so much for, for coming on and providing us some education on what this um, ballot initiative is about and um, where can we, uh, where we can learn more about it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And um, thank you for putting on, you know, this podcast and focusing on important election issues, important community issues in San Jose. So I appreciate it.